Hello, you're listening to Livin' Appalachia, WEHC 90.7, WISE FM 90.5. I'm your host, Brendan Blevins. Today, I have with me Phil Blevins, who works in the Extension Office in Washington County. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, so let's just get right into it. Um, what is the Extension Office? Okay, we're actually part of the uh, of Virginia Tech, which is one of the land-grant universities in Virginia, the Virginia State being the other one. And the Extension Service was created uh, back early in the history of the, in about the early 1900s. And the land-grant universities were doing research in agriculture, things that would be useful to the community. And so it was decided that there was a need to extend that out to the communities. And so over the years, extension agents, as we're called, have been uh, placed in the different counties in the states that have land-grant universities. And we are, our mission is to take the research-based information from the colleges to the communities. So how exactly do you do that? How do you take what the college gives you and kind of take it out there? Well, we do it in a lot of ways. I mean, we do it in one-on-one interaction with people. Uh, We do it through, uh, for example, farmer meetings uh, where we bring in, either make presentations ourselves or bring presenters in to present this information. The other way we do it is through research and demonstration plots uh, that we do either on farm or at the research station here in Emory to try to get that information to the producer to improve things. One of the things that was done early on, and it was actually the beginning of the 4-H program in Extension, was what they called corn clubs with uh, young people. And they would get some young person to plant an acre of corn and use the recommendations that they made. And then when the when the boy's corn outperformed the dad's corn, he was more likely to adopt those practices. So you mentioned 4-H. Is that a, a big part of what you do? It's a big part of the extension program. It's the oldest youth development program in the United States. We have a very excellent program in the county. I help with it. We actually have a 4-H extension agent, Crystal Peak, that that leads that program. I help with some of the the agricultural programs and then some other things that go along with that program. Um, What are some programs right now that you're really uh, excited about? Well, of course, we have a lot of beef cattle, a lot of livestock in Washington County. And so some of the things that I'm really excited about is we work with the Abingdon Feeder Cattle Association to do a uh, feeder calf marketing program that's really meant a lot to the producers that have participated in it. It's actually adding value to their calves that they're selling. Other things that I do is the forage work that I do at the research station with corn and cool season grasses and warm season annuals to try to uh, bring that information. And then, of course, uh, the beekeeping program, working with the beekeepers in the county. We're teaching a beginner's beekeepers course tomorrow. We do that twice a year. There's just lots of things that go along. The Master Gardener program, we have an excellent Master Gardener program in our office. It's led by volunteers that really do a great job. So what is the Master Gardener program? The Master Gardener program was actually started by an extension agent in, in Washington, Oregon, one of those states. But uh, we get a lot of questions, or the ag agents do in their office, uh, and a lot of those are associated with urban horticulture, uh, like uh, gardens and lawns and flowers and things like that. And so it was uh, a big load on him, and so he devised this uh, plan to train volunteers with horticulture information, and in return they would volunteer and help him answer questions. And that program spread all over the United States now. So they go through about a 50-hour training class in horticulture. And then they are volunteers that then extend that information to the community. So we're going to go back and talk about you for a little bit here, all if right. that's all right. That would be fine. <laughs> so um, how, did you, how did you get to be doing this? Well, I grew up, I was in 4-H and had a really good 4-H agent. And uh, I always liked the idea of helping people. And so this gives you an opportunity to do that. Uh, And 
it attracted me because of what I participated in in 4-H. And then uh, when I got out of college, I went to work on a a dairy farm and then worked in the dairy industry for several years. And an extension agent's job came open in Montgomery County, Virginia, which is where I started. And I was there for about a year and three or four months and transferred to Washington County. And so it's it's kind of always, actually, I interviewed for an extension job when I graduated from the University of Tennessee, but I wanted to move home too bad, so uh, <laughs> I didn't take that one. And so you said the extension offices are run through Tech? Uh, yes, uh, well, and Virginia State, but Virginia Tech is actually the, the school that manages the uh, extension agents. Okay. Um, and then... What would you say the state of agriculture is from your point of view in Washington County right now? Well, it's really strong. It's the largest industry in the county. Uh, farm sales of about, depending on the year, 67 to 70, 76 million dollars in farm sales. So it makes it the largest industry. If you, the economists say, if you uh, count the rollover impact of that in the in the economy, local economy, it's over $400,000. And so it's huge as far as impact goes. Uh, some of the issues that it faces, obviously, are development, uh, land development, and then uh, an aging farmer population. You know, every five years, a census of agriculture is done. And for the past four or five uh, publications of the census, the average age of the farmer in not only Washington County, but most places has gone up two years every time. And so that's probably, it's not probably, it is a challenge as far as we go into the future of getting young people that can, that have an, excuse me, that have an interest in agriculture and can move into agriculture. But Overall, it, it's it's a strong industry and contributes a lot to the county. So uh, talking about trying to get young farmers into farming, um, what are some of the struggles and then how are we combating that to try to get some young people back into agriculture? Uh, w- one of the struggles is land price. I mean, if you're going to farm, obviously land in this area is not cheap. And so that presents a problem as well as, you know, machinery costs and all the costs that are associated with farming. Uh, They've gone up dramatically in the last two years. Uh, And so that's an issue. Uh, Another issue is you have uh, a generation that's, for the most part, removed from agriculture. So having the experience and the basic knowledge to get into agriculture presents a, a challenge uh, along that line. And that can be overcome if people are willing to learn. But I see it as a big challenge because we're losing a generation of know-how when these older people die. Mm-hmm. And if their children are not involved in the farm, uh, it's a big stretch to go from never having handled livestock or growing crops to being successful at it. Um, so is there like uh, any young people trying to make that attempt to just get into farm, farming out of nowhere? Uh, yes, there are. There are young people. I don't know. You have a few that are trying to get it get involved or get into farming that have never done it. And then you have some young people that have a grandparent or, or some relative that owns a farm that are, are attempting to get in. Some of them are very successful. I mean, there's some young people that are very successful. Some figure out they don't want to do it. It's not as glamorous as it looked like from a distance. And so uh, they determine that there's things they'd rather do with their time. <laughs> If there's somebody listening who wants to get into farming, what type of farming do you think would be most would be the easiest transition in this county to get into? Well, probably the, one of the obstacles in farming and growing things is selling it. I mean, that's a huge factor because we can grow just about anything but citrus, and so. Um, it's not a matter of growing it, it's a matter of getting rid of it at a price that you can live with. And so the easiest things to sell in this county on a large basis are livestock. I mean, cattle and sheep, we can goats, we can sell those things. So that's one possibility, but I mean, you have to have land. 
One of the things that a lot of people are interested in that move into the county is raising produce or fruit or something of that nature. And uh, that can be done, but it's uh, it's a tough business because I've done it. It's a tough business whenever you have a year when everybody has it because then it becomes really cheap if you're trying to sell it. And so profits go way down. One of the things that seems to be uh, something that sells good is small fruit, like strawberries or raspberries or blackberries, things like that. But they're extremely labor-intensive. And so, you know, one of the things that people that get into produce or that, they have to be willing to bend a lot, have to be willing (laughs) to do a lot of hand labor because labor is a big obstacle in, in agriculture because it's like it is in every other industry right now. Finding somebody to help is a problem. So um, as far as agriculture goes, what's your what's your personal favorite? Like what uh, what type of agriculture do you do you like the best? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> livestock. I've always loved uh, cattle. I love to fool with cattle. Any kind of livestock, really. I don't care what it is. I don't deal with, I don't, I've never owned horses, but uh, you know, the the food animals, mm-hmm. whether it's dairy cattle, beef cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, I like. That's probably my favorite. And, and I really like raising crops. I mean, I've always, I really enjoy that. So, and the bees, I like fooling <laughs> with the bees. Just about name it, I like it. So, Well, uh, last week we talked about uh, how extracting honey can be quite the task <laughs> on the show. Uh, so... Why do you keep? Why do you mess with bees? I keep bees because I like the bees, and, <laughs> and I like them for pollination. I really, you know, I avoid extracting the honey if I can <laughs> help it. I leave it for the bees. Some people like that; they like selling honey. But really, I keep the bees for the purpose of um, just to have them. Just to... Uh, plus, I have an education ap- apiary on the job, and so okay. uh, I do it for that reason too. Now, if a if a young person was interested in farming, what advice would you have for them? Well, the first thing I would do is tell them to learn as much as they can about it uh, before they get into it. Now, it's impossible to learn it all, obviously, <laughs> just like any job. And I would encourage them if they get the opportunity to work on a farm uh, so that they can get a taste for it to see, is this what I want to do? Because, you know, being a cowboy looks glamorous from a distance, but if you're out in it in the cold and the wet and the dirt and the mud and stuff every day then it may not be what you want to do once you get into it <laughs> yeah i was gonna say uh it always looks cool to be riding a horse around and uh, stuff yeah. but when you actually have to get down to it <laughs> that's right that's right uh john wayne makes it look a little too easy <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right have you noticed uh with the rise of like homesteaders and that sort of thing with TV shows, have you noticed more people getting into a small scale farming in Washington County? Yeah, there's a number of people that have moved to the area that will get a because they can buy land cheaper than where they came from, and they'll buy land and then they're <clears throat> obviously interested in doing something with it. And so, in that regard, I would say in the last few years, we've seen sheep numbers grow because sheep are a small livestock or goats. And then the interest in raising produce, people selling at farmer's markets and things like that. So, yeah, it's gone up some in the area. Now, um, I've only ever really used an extension office for soil tests. Right. Um, if I'm a farmer right now, what else can I go to the uh, extension office to get done? Okay, we have, uh, well, we do have the soils lab, like you mentioned. We also have the ability to, we have a lab at Virginia Tech that will identify insects, which is pretty important for some people, or do disease diagnosis on plants, which is important a lot of times. Uh, Some of the main things that we do, of course, is troubleshooting problems on the farm. If they've got a problem with a crop, even with livestock. Now, we're not veterinarians, but, you know, if there's some way that we can help uh, we do, and that's probably one of the bigger things we do, but probably the biggest thing we do is proactive programming to try to get improved production practices out to people, whether it be with livestock crops or somebody's yard or garden or whatever it might be. So um, have you ever had somebody come in with uh, like a really interesting way of farming you haven't thought of in the region before? 
I've had a lot of questions along that line over the years, and there are some people that are unique and they can make same some things work, but then there's sometimes you run into somebody that read something on the internet that was touted and they're going to do it and it just don't work out. So for the most part, farming has stayed relatively the same type of things in the region over the last many years? Yeah, if you go back uh, 30 years ago, there were probably 80 dairies in the county then, and we're down to three now. Uh, so dairy farming has changed because it's it's a tight margin business. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus regulation, I think, has helped drive it in that direction too. Uh, but there's always been livestock here, and so that's stayed strong. Now, if you go back, you know, 80 years ago, uh, you, we grew a lot of wheat then, one of the older ag publications, we grew 27,000 acres of wheat in Washington County. If you go back to the 90s, we grew 3,500 acres of barley tobacco here. And we're down to just a handful of farms in that, in that uh, commodity now. Uh, the very first interview on this show was actually about uh, growing tobacco. Have you noticed anything kind of replace that, or uh, what kind of happened to some of those farms? Yeah, that's a that is such a uh, high value crop that nothing's on a broad scale's ever replaced it. There's been a lot of people that have uh, got a lot of grant money to prove that something would replace tobacco and income, but. On a broad scale, there's nothing out there to do that, or, or ever has. There may be something, but it never has. But what people have done that grew tobacco, they either retired or they bought more cattle. Some diversified some. You have some of those that grow, that were growing vegetables that grow more vegetables now. Uh, but it's just a multitude of different things that people did that, that used to be tobacco growers. And then we still got, like I said, a handful that still grow it. That's uh, that's hard to believe when you look at the prices for tobacco yeah. nowadays. Yeah, the prices, prices have been good this year, but the inputs are so high that the margin don't get much bigger. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, with the uh, inputs into that, has that affected a lot of farmers lately with, uh, I mean, just diesel prices alone? <laughs> yeah, uh, fuel prices and then fertilizer prices are... I don't know, maybe three times higher than they were a couple of years ago. Uh, feed prices as a result of that go up. All those things kind of go up together a lot of times. And so farmer may get more per pound for a calf or milk may bring more per hundred weight, but the inputs tend to eat up as much as it goes up. And so it's a tough thing right now, is particularly fertilizer prices. They are just so high, that, and that affects everything on the farm. Mm-hmm. Now, have you uh, recently seen that egg prices have gone through the roof? Um, is have gone up. There's yeah. no question about that. <laughs> is there a lot of, like, local sources for eggs in the county? Well, there are private individuals that sell eggs, but we're the actually Washington County is the largest egg producing county in the state, and that's by virtue of Green Valley Farms. Uh, they are the largest egg producer in the state. The problem with the egg price, at least one of the problems with the egg price now, I don't know, I don't know that I know all the factors, but one of them is avian flu, mm-hmm. and that's one that's affected the industry at this point, and uh, those flocks that have been infected it's really affected the egg producers and so flocks have to be depopulated to keep that under control and so you don't have the chickens laying eggs then price goes up so um has there been a lot of avian flu in in washington county there's not been a case reported here and hopefully there won't be the closest one i know of i got a notice last week i believe it was that a turkey flock had been found in a turkey flock up in the shenandoah valley which they depopulated and so hopefully the thing is going to subside the problem with it is it's carried by birds wild birds you know Hopefully it'll run its course soon. They thought last summer might end it, but it survived the hot, hot weather. And mm-hmm. so, and we're in the flyways of yeah. some of the migratory birds, so it's an issue. Is there a plan in place if something like that did pop up in the county? Well, 
course, extension emphasizes biosecurity with even with small flocks is that you, you know, you do the things that are necessary, precautions to prevent an infection. And certainly the big operations go to great lengths uh, to secure the place and to make sure it's not being carried on the farm some way. Uh, and, you know, if it does happen, then it falls under the, if it does, for example, a flock actually is infected, then it falls under the purview of the state veterinarian's office and, they, and the Virginia Department of Agriculture. Then they move in and do what's necessary to contain it. Uh, you also talked about how sometimes the extension office will go um, try to figure out what's wrong with crops or uh, livestock. What are some of the common problems um, in the county for, like, livestock? Uh, with beef cattle, pink eye would be a big one uh, in the summertime. Other problems you run into would be um, things, like nutritional things. You know, beef cattle or sheep nutrition affects a lot of things in the animal, like reproduction and performance, and so those would pre be probably some of the uh, bigger issues, and, and associated with those is uh, the pasture management and hay management. So it all ties together, or corn production, all those things tie together. Now, um, as far as plants, we uh, had on the show two weeks ago talking about um, the spotted lanternfly. Yeah. Have uh, you guys had to deal with any of that? Uh, well, we've heard a lot about it, but to my knowledge, we've not had an official report of it in Washington County. I know it's been as close as with County, and it likes to ride campers and mm. logs and things like that, so it's probably just a matter of time till we get it. Yeah. Be kind of like the emerald ash borer. It started in northern Virginia, and now it's killed basically every ash tree in this county, too. As far as uh, that, as far as um, the bugs and other pests, what are the ones that are affecting here the most? Well, the emerald ash borer was a big one. It killed, it's basically killed out the, the mature ash trees. Uh, the hemlock woolly adelgid a few years ago infected eastern hemlocks and killed a lot of them. Uh, and then the spotted lanternfly, uh, when, if it ever does get here, which it likely will, it can be a problem on grapes and some fruits like that. Uh, some of the other things that people don't think about, there's been a resurgence in bed bugs, which is a human pest. <laughs> and then uh, some of the things we have, like the brown marmorated stink bug that infests houses in the fall, not because it's a house infester, but it comes out of the environment into the houses to overwinter, like the Asian lady beetle. <laughs> and then box elder beetles. Those are three that go into houses that don't affect the house, but they irritate the people that live in them. Now the bed bugs become a problem if they're there. So with uh, farming in Washington County, um, is it vastly different than farming in other regions? Is there anything like unique to uh, Washington County as far as farming goes? Well, I guess in, in one sense, one thing would be is we're a large livestock marketing area. Washington County, most people don't realize it, but it's one of the largest livestock marketing centers east of the Mississippi. Of course, Christmas trees. Christmas trees aren't grown everywhere, but if you get up on the mountain, White Top, Mount Rogers in Virginia and down into North Carolina. I mean, there are a lot of Christmas trees grown, so that's kind of unique. Other than that, probably not. I mean, we're kind of blend in with a lot of other counties with similar terrain to what we have. With, uh, with having like Christmas trees, tobacco, beef cattle, sheep, you know, horses and all sorts of stuff, what really sticks out is Christmas trees. Can you talk about those for, for a little bit? Yeah, the, the Christmas tree industry is extremely important as far as uh, the economy goes. Now, it's not the largest thing in Washington County, obviously, but if you get into some of those counties like Grayson, uh, some of those mountain counties in North Carolina, all those can grow the Fraser fir, which commands a pretty high price. And so it contributes a lot to those areas in terms of... Uh, economic impact. The one thing that it does uh, because of the high value of Christmas trees a lot of times takes land out of livestock because they can pay a little higher rent on the land than a person growing cattle and so sometimes you see that happen but 
It's a very, uh, it's an interesting segment, but it's a very important segment too. Now, um, with the extension office doing stuff with so many farmers, have you noticed a reduction in the number of farms in the last several years? Not much. We uh, have, we're one of the, in terms of numbers of farms, we're one of the, used to be the largest county in the state, and then they must have recounted in Rockingham County and came up with more. But, uh, you know, we have in the neighborhood of 1,600 farms in the county, and we may have, in my 30-some years here, we may have lost in the count on the, and that's based on the census, we may have lost, I don't know, 60, 70, which would be a varying sizes from really small farms that had a tobacco allotment to maybe some larger. With Washington County having, you know, Abingdon and um, I believe part of Bristol's in it. Well, there's actually part of it has a Bristol address. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, Has that benefited agriculture in the county, you know, having bigger areas? Because if you look at like Smith County right next door, it's only really got Chilhowie and Marion. Yeah, it has, Abingdon in particular has, because in Abingdon you had, uh, it was a large tobacco marketing center, warehouses there. You had the livestock markets there that are, are big, they're a big economic engine because we get cattle marketed here from all the states around us. Uh, and so you have that, you have, you know, at one time, oh, and obviously people like to come to Abingdon uh, to visit, which helps those that do some things like agritourism. Mm-hmm. There's not, that's not a big deal <clears throat> in Washington County, but it does help them. And so, yeah, Abingdon's been important as far as that goes, just because of those things. So is um, agriculture in Washington County, it seems like even though, you know, you may have lost a few farms right after tobacco, it seems to be looking pretty up and there's kind of a plan to get and programs to help younger people get involved? Uh, agriculture's strong. As far as programs to help young people get into agriculture, I don't know that there's a formalized program, uh, but the opportunities there. You know, if people approach it right, uh, I think the opportunity's still there because we all got to eat. And agriculture's really uh, taken on more significance with people in the public. I don't know that they always know what they're talking about, but <laughs> it's more significant to a lot of people now, particularly when you go to the grocery stores now and you see some things you can't buy every once in a while. You know, that's a common joke with the, uh, if you ask some young people nowadays, you know, where does beef come from? It comes from the grocery store. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I actually had a guy tell me one time, he knew someone that was selling eggs at the farmer's market and and the person asked the person selling the eggs, said, you know, the little boy told my boy that eggs come out of a chicken's rear end. Is that where yours come from? And he said, well, you know, I don't know that I'd describe it like that, but he said they do. That's where the egg duct is. That's where they come out. And this person handed their eggs back and said, well, I'm going to have to get mine somewhere where they're produced under more sanitary conditions. I'll get mine at the store. <laughs> so there is a big disconnect in the public. Now, have you ever had uh, somebody that's interested in farming and, like, their heart's in the right place with it but knows absolutely nothing and is not prepared for what they're trying to get themselves into? Yeah, that's pretty common. That's pretty common, people that have never farmed and they buy land and they want to farm. Have you noticed within the last probably four years or so with uh, Yellowstone, the show being so popular, it seems like, Everyone wants to go play cowboy nowadays. (laughs) I don't know if that's impacted us a lot. Other maybe more people wearing cowboy boots, but uh, (laughs) I don't don't know that I've seen the effect of that on local agriculture. (laughs) Now, have you seen somebody who is like that, doesn't know what they're getting into, but has bought land and is just determined to start farming? Have you seen it work out for them well? Yeah, if they work at it, and if they're willing to learn, if they're willing to go with with science-based information, uh, yeah, people can be successful. It's uh, a lot of times, though, people find out that, you know, I just don't like this. And so <laughs> they end up renting their farm out or something like that. So does every county in Virginia have an extension office? Yes, every county does. There's, there's not necessarily a full staff in every extension office in the state because 
just like people that have never farmed and find out they don't want to farm when they get into it, uh, you really have to love extension work to be successful because <laughs> it's unusual. It's, it's, it's great. It's the greatest job I've ever had. Uh, but it's uh, it's different than a lot of things because you got to be really uh, interested in a lot of things and you got to be willing to work a lot of hours to be <laughs> successful at it. Well, it sounds like there's not an average day at work for you, but what would you consider like an average day at work? What would you be doing? An average day. That's a good question because, <laughs> like you said, there's not an average day. There's always phone calls to answer about problems that people have. You know, it might be putting in test plots uh, somewhere to evaluate some production practice, or it might be uh, working with somebody on vaccinating cattle, or it might be it might be taking up cattle at a sale, or it might be helping with a 4-H show. Unfortunately, it might be going to administrative meeting. <laughs> I don't know that there is an average day. Or it might be teaching like tomorrow, the beginning beekeepers class. So. <laughs> so with having to, you know, know so much about so many different topics, how did you, like, how did you prepare yourself for that? Or did you just kind of get thrown into it and they're like, figure it out? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I think my greatest preparation was growing up on a small farm. I grew up on a farm. My daddy milked my hand when I was a little boy, and then he had beef cattle and grew tobacco, and we put up hay, and, you know, I'm old enough that I can remember shucking corn by hand. <laughs> and that was probably my greatest preparation was my daddy was a good teacher and taught me how to work. Uh, but then I went to the University of Tennessee where, where I took agriculture in high school. I learned there, and in 4-H I was on – agricultural type judging teams like crop judging and livestock judging and then uh, I majored in animal science at the University of Tennessee and of course I learned a lot there and then getting out in the industry and a lot of just then we get we've had good training on the job I mean they train us and so it's but a lot of it is learned by doing and and never thinking that you've got it all figured out mm -hmm. and willing to keep learning <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I recently interviewed someone, and that was something they said you can't you can't run a successful farm the way your great granddaddy did it nowadays. That's true. <laughs> you know, that's very true. Now, if you work like your great granddaddy <laughs> did, that'll help a whole lot. I'd say that might be the problem with this uh, this generation. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a big factor: is being willing to work like great granddaddy did. Now, you uh, you mentioned growing up on a farm. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? What was that like growing up? Well, I grew up in Shady Valley, Tennessee, just across the mountain over here into Tennessee. And um, that's, we weren't, that part of the world was not advanced. You know, we were kind of behind on technology all the time. And so we did a lot of handwork. I mean, a lot of things we did was the way that great granddaddy <laughs> did it. And so you learned, you know, you learned how to do things, you know, and from the time I was a little boy, I mean, I, I loved cattle. And so dad never discouraged us from being with the cattle or whatever it was. Uh, and he expected us to work. And so we learned to do a lot of things that way. And so, I mean, I wouldn't trade anything for it. When I was, we had real rocky land. And so we had to haul rock every time a piece of land was plowed we had to pick up rock and I had a brother my brother and I always had to help and you know at that point I thought this is terrible but you know looking back at it now is one of the greatest experiences I've ever had and so you said it was a a dairy farm beef cattle everything when I was too small to do a whole lot daddy milked about eight cows by hand twice a day and sold milking cans to pet milk company in Abingdon and he sold those cows and got beef cattle. And so that's what he had the rest of my life. And, uh, you know, I'll, it was just exciting to me. I always get to feed the cows or things like that. And then he grew to back. And, and we did a lot of work for other people. We did, as I grew older, we did custom work for people, like picking corn and putting up hay. And, and so, um, you know, I had a pretty varied experience along that line, too. <laughs> It sounds like you kind of got lucky not being old enough to milk cows. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, actually, uh, when I was in high school and college, I, I, lo I loved the dairy cows, and I worked on dairy farms when Daddy didn't need me. I worked. We had a neighbor that had a dairy farm, 
I worked for him for several years. And then when I got out of college, I worked for another person at home that had a dairy farm. And so I didn't, I didn't mind milking. <laughs> if there's something to be done farming-wise, I wanted to be involved in it. And it, uh, it kind of seems like having all that experience, you found the perfect job That's for right. you. <laughs> That's exactly right. It fit right in. Well, was there anything that, uh, that you had to learn once you got on the job that you hadn't done? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's been lots of things that I've learned. Even growing up, like I said, around cattle, when I got into the job that I have, I had to learn a lot about the marketing of cattle and what kind of, you know, what type of cattle and things like that are best on the market and when they're best on the market. Uh, things like nutrition, livestock nutrition. There's a lot of things I've had to learn in the years that I've worked. <laughs> What, uh, what is the most common type of cattle in this area? Well, they're going to be Angus-influenced cattle, black-hided cattle, because that's, in general, that's the most, they're in the greatest demand on the market, black-hided cattle. And that, a lot of that's because the American Angus Association developed the Certified Angus Beef Program, and it makes those cattle worth a little more. We talked about sheep a little bit earlier. We touched on it. What are what are sheep raised for in Washington County? Well, you have two types of sheep in the county. You have hair sheep and you have um, wool sheep. They both have wool, but the hair sheep shed. They have a coarser fiber, and they shed it in general. But all the sheep in Washington County are raised for meat. I'm not aware of a dairy sheep in the county. I know some people have had some Icelandic sheep, but uh, they didn't sell milk. Uh, so everything in Washington County is raised mainly for meat. Now, the wool sheep, you can sell the wool from them. It's not very profitable, if profitable at all, but you have to shear it off of them. And so they're all meat sheep, whether hair or wool. And uh, just for everyone that's joining us now or has joined us recently, you're listening to WEHC Emory 90.7 and WISE FM WISE 90.5. And I have with me today Phil Blevins, the extension agent for Washington County. So getting back into sheep farming, is there more sheep farms than than like uh, beef farm, beef cattle farms? No, it's not even close. Uh, now, some have both, uh, but there's far more beef cattle farms than there are sheep farms. Now, if you went back about 40 years ago, maybe 45 years ago, there were a lot, there were a lot of people who had sheep, but predators have been a big issue with sheep. <laughs> is the main predator of sheep in this area like coyotes? Yeah, they're one. Coyotes are one. People's dogs are another <laughs> one. Uh, but the coyotes were the big problem uh, because, you know, they weren't native to the area, and they really came in and caused a lot of problems. And then with sheep versus, um, like, beef cattle, um, is there different impacts on the land, or is it a pretty, if you wanted to transition between the two, is it a pretty smooth transition, or is it? Yeah, it would be a smooth transition. There's a difference in handling the animal. I mean, you've got to have a, uh, there's different problems, I guess is the way to put it, between the two. Uh, sheep are very susceptible to parasites like stomach worms, intestinal worms, not in pro and cattle get them too, but uh, sheep don't handle them as well. They, they have different, somewhat different grazing habits. Uh, sheep will eat grass, but they also like broadleafy plants. And so they work good together. I mean, they'll eat some weeds. They like some weeds, like tall ironweed. They'll just about kill it out if you've got a problem with it. Um, they graze well with cattle. You know, you see the old westerns where the Cowboys hated the sheep farmers, but they actually grazed together very well because of their differences in preferences sometimes. Now, is there a lot of farms doing that where they'll graze both in the same pastures? Uh, some, some, but really what you have here is usually they have them segregated. There's nothing wrong with running them together, but what I notice, for the most part, people that have them have the sheep segregated from the cattle. Now, have you ever had somebody come into the county wanting to uh, raise something like uh, llamas or yeah. something along those lines? Because I think I was driving down 81 the other day and I noticed some, some llamas out in a field. Yeah. 
Yeah, we've had people that had llamas probably more when I first came here than now. Uh, and some people had llamas because they make a good guard animal, or they can for sheep. Uh, we have at least one farm that raises alpacas and sells the fiber off of them. Uh, we've had, there was the ostrich craze at one time and <laughs> emus back 30 years ago. That didn't pan out. That was a flash <laughs> in the pan. But um, so there's been a lot of things come along like that. Well, what were they? Uh, what were they hoping for from ostriches and emus? Well, the meat was supposed to be a great thing that people were going to go to ostrich meat, and uh, it just didn't work. <laughs> if you're on the front end of it, you made a lot of money. But if you're on the back end of it, then you had trouble getting rid of the ostriches. <laughs> Is there any other like? Uh farming things like that that you've seen where there's like a a huge craze for it up front oh, yeah hemp was one hemp yeah everybody got excited about industrial hemp and you don't hear much about it anymore <laughs> that's been five six years ago and a lot of people that grew it had difficulty getting rid of it and so there's still i'm sure there's somebody making money at it somewhere but it sounded like it was going to be the thing that would replace tobacco everybody was talking about, which I doubted, and it just didn't work out. And then there was a company one time that came in that wanted people to raise these uh, this uh, type of cherry tree that must have made kind of a bushy plant, and they were going to buy the bark and make cherry-type syrup for different things. That didn't work out. <laughs> uh, then transgenic tobacco several years ago. They were going to use tobacco to make drugs, and that was a flash in the pan too. So, Now, do you think the big thing I've heard a lot about recently with farming is the uh, medical marijuana across several states. Do you think that's going to be a big thing, or do you think it's yeah, just going to be I don't a... know. I really don't have a good handle on that. I know they're doing it, and so I, that's about, I, I, I just don't have a good handle on that. I don't yeah. know if it's... what To me, what happens in those situations, and I'm not, I'm not saying that about this particular one, but it's touted as a thing for a lot of people, and then it turns out they don't, and one or two people can produce what they need, and everybody mm-hmm. else throws it away or whatever yeah yeah the one farming i don't think we've touched on really that's kind of like one of the main things i think of if, with farming is um pigs is there any pig farms in the county uh yeah we have uh you know we have two or three that i know of that still raise pigs uh mostly they raise them for um for sale to people somebody wants to kill a hog for their self, or they kill them for them, or whatever. Um, the hog industry is so vertically integrated that uh, some of the companies own the pigs from the time they're born till they sell the meat, and so that kind of eliminated a lot of that. This used to be a big feeder pig production area where people would produce pigs, get them up to 30, 40 pounds, and then sell them, and they went to the people that fed them out. You know, people like Smithfield will still buy hogs if you want to grow them, but uh, based on our discussions with them in the past, it don't look very profitable yeah. to do that. And so the guys that raise hogs are better better served by raising them and selling finished pigs locally to people. And uh, the Abingdon Farmer's Market is a big thing around <clears throat> here too. Have you noticed that growing, or is it uh, saying about the same size or shrinking? Well, you have that one, and you have the one on State Street in Bristol, and I know some people that participate in it and and like it very well. Uh, my experience has been with those things that you have to get, you have to be willing to stick with it till people get to know you. And I think this is true in the produce, small produce industry in general, whether it's at the farmers market or not. You have to raise high quality, and you have to stick with it long enough till people get to know you, and then they'll come to you asking mm-hmm. for it. If somebody was uh, wanting to reach out to the extension office because they had questions about something, how would they get in contact with you? The easiest thing is to call our office. It's uh, 276-676-6309 in Abingdon. We're on, actually our address is 234 Valley, West Valley Street in Abingdon, when you have, but you have to come in on the Plum Alley side of the yeah. building. And, and then, you know, my email address is pblevins at vt.edu. So those are two ways that you can get in touch with me. And like we said earlier, the uh, 
the thing that I've always used an extension office for is soil tests, but you guys do a lot more. Yeah. Um, a lot more, it seems like, than that. Yeah, yeah I can't think of all of it. So, <laughs> I mean, I've done, It's we get some unusual questions. And we try to help people. I mean, if it's within the realm of what we can do, we always try to help people. And then we've talked about tons of different uh unusual farming mm. things like the the emus i think are going to be my favorite for yeah, today <laughs> yeah yeah we actually one time we tried uh, caged catfish caged catfish on a farm and uh, the water gets too cold around here in the winter time and the catfish won't eat much in the winter time and so they don't grow when you can raise big catfish around here but it takes a long time mm-hmm. just because they won't eat in the cold weather so it seems like Washington County has had some very unique uh, farming ventures done here. Right. A few weeks ago, we had a uh, bison farmer from North Carolina. Have you ever had somebody try to raise bison? Yeah, we used to have, I believe it was two farms that had buffalo or bison on them. And, you know, I don't know if they ever sold the meat. That's been 30 years ago. I don't know if they ever sold the meat or just had them for a field ornament for people to talk about yeah <laughs> actually down before exit 22 was built there was a few buffalo right there that you could see from the interstate i'd say they'd uh, probably be pretty good at keeping people off your land <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah i expect so yeah yeah have you had with uh the livestock sales we talked about that a little bit what kind of role do you guys play in that? Well, we work with the Feeder Cattle Association as far as managing. It's called the Virginia Quality Assured Program. So we work with the Feeder Cattle Association, the Virginia Cattlemen's Association, and the Virginia Department of Agriculture to uh, keep that program going. And, you know, one of the things we do is help producers qualify their cattle for that program because it is a high-end program as far as vaccination program and things like that for the cattle. And so we uh, we help with that part of it. We help with advising the marketing group, the Feeder Cattle Association, on that. And we're actually heavily involved in the days when the cattle are brought in to be shipped to wherever they're going. So what exactly are the requirements for that program? Well, those cattle have to be uh, weaned 45 days before they can be shipped. Uh, They have to go through uh, two rounds of vaccinations for respiratory diseases. That's one of the big health problems in the cattle industry is is, it's called shipping fever or pneumonia. And so these vaccinations are given to them to, uh, and, and they're weaned so that Hopefully they're through the stress period and they have some immunity to uh, pneumonia when they get where, or the, what they call the bovine respiratory disease complex. And so, and then plus, um, have to be vaccinated for black leg, which is a clostridial disease that cattle get. And do you guys help with like shipping all livestock or is it... Uh... Uh, not always, but in the past, Extension's been involved, for example, in what was called the Eastern Lamb Co-op, where lambs were sold in large groups. And then you might be involved, you know, with helping a producer find a market for some animals. And then we just touched on bees for just a second there, and then with that class coming up, how do you guys, what do you guys do for uh people who want to get interested in beekeeping? Because I know there's probably a large group of people who don't necessarily want to go full in on agriculture and be a farmer but might want to keep a hive or two well the one thing one of the things is have the beginning beekeepers course twice a year the last saturday in january and the first saturday in november and then provide advice on a one-on-one basis i mean i've gone out and helped people with their bees look through their bees uh and try to provide you know, good science-based information to them on how to manage bee colonies. And then we've also talked about how um, one of the main things with the extension office is kind of pushing farming forward, uh, research that's being done. What was, like, the hardest thing to convince people to either start doing or to stop doing? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I don't know that I'd have a specific thing, but one of the things I would say along that line about getting people not to do is someone trying something that they shouldn't do, and, and then it works out. <laughs> then I've got a friend who used to be an extension agent in Smith County. He said one of the worst things that can happen is somebody do something wrong and it works. Then everybody <laughs> wants to do it. 
And so that's probably one of the bigger challenges is to convince people not to do things that aren't science-based, you know, that may have worked one time, and then the next time it's a disaster. So I imagine, like, that's what I'm imagining from how you say that is, that's probably what happened with, like, the, the ostriches. You know, someone went out and was like, this is the best thing ever for this area. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to overcome what people read on the Internet or what mm-hmm. somebody that really can speak with authority says is the right yeah. thing to do. I think we've all been there one at some point right. in some way. You know, you do something that's not supposed to work, but it just... Everything works out. And then you're like, this is the way I'm doing it from now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. As we're uh, as we're coming down on the top of the hour here, what what would you like to tell people that you know want to farm and you know want to are determined to live this lifestyle of farming? What what advice do you have for them? I guess I would say first of all that you uh, like I said earlier that you try to get a good understanding of it, but that you realize that there is science out there that that has proven things that'll work. And do those before you start venturing out into things that are just what somebody <laughs> says ought to work, that wrote a book and didn't know and never did it. Uh, that would be one of the first things I would tell them. And the, and the second thing I would tell them is, you know, you really got to like labor. <laughs> you really got to like, depending on what you do, you really got to like to work. And it's not a sitting in the house type of deal. Yeah. And it's like, uh, like you said earlier, you know, getting that work ethic like your great granddad. That's right. That's a big part of it. <laughs> and, you know, do you have anybody that was really influential to you in farming? Um, My dad was the biggest. Was the biggest. He was a hard worker and he wanted to do things right. That's one thing he always told us, you know, you need to do it right. And he didn't let us do it wrong. <laughs> and so he was probably the biggest influence. And then you know, the county agent where I grew up and the 4-H agent, Tom Fortune, was the ag agent. Keith Hart was the 4-H agent. They were a big influence. And then my colleagues that I work with now, some of those have been really big influence on me as far as pushing me on to do things that maybe I wouldn't have done if they hadn't <laughs> been there. Now, is everybody that um, works over in that office with you, are most of them farmers? Or have you had somebody that works there with you that just really doesn't have a connection that actually you're right now most of them aren't farmers they're not but they're not they don't deal with the ag part of it okay yeah now you know there's i guess when i say my colleagues i'm talking about agriculture agents in other counties like okay. russell county scott jesse and andy Overbay in smith county and there's a number of them that have been uh, good friends and helped me out a lot all right well i really appreciate you taking the time i've to... enjoyed it to come on here and uh, i think we all we all learned quite a bit and just one more time for everybody how can they get in contact with you okay our phone number uh, we're in on 234 valley street west valley street in abingdon my phone number is 276-676-6309 and my email address is pblevins at vt.edu and uh that was phil blevins and i'd like to thank everybody for listening to living appalachia